Hello and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale the Real Seeker. And today I have a, a special treat for you. Um, we have a, a special guest returning, uh, Dr. Yigel German. Hey, there you go. Hi, Dale. Good to hear you. I hope I can see you soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. With, I, don't, I never do the video. Um, I keep getting uh, pressured to do it, but uh, I don't know. It's just not my thing, but uh, maybe someday, maybe someday. All right. <laughs> Awesome, but but yeah, it's great to have you back. You you were uh, you're not a stranger to the show. This is your second time being on. We did a, kind of a joint venture, but uh, yeah, just um, just to kind of kick it over to you for for people that maybe didn't catch the Pora show that we did. Uh, do you want to kind of introduce the my audience as to who you are? Uh, maybe give it a, a bit of background in terms of your faith journey and that sort of thing. Mm, of course, yeah. Thank you so much, Dale, for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. So uh, yeah, my name is Igal German, and I'm a Messianic Jewish believer. I uh, was born in the former Soviet Union and in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. I lived in Israel, where I came to faith in Yeshua HaMashiach, in the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, the Lord blessed me to uh, pursue my theological education in Israel. I completed my bachelor's and master's degrees in biblical studies at Haifa University. And uh, then the Lord blessed me to uh, continue with my PhD studies in Canada, where I successfully completed my PhD in biblical studies at the University of Toronto. And so I'm a biblical scholar. I'm also an apologist. I really love Bible theology, apologetics. And uh, it's a great blessing for me to uh, share about my faith journey and uh, to share what the Lord has revealed to me from his word. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I love, uh, I know we were kind of talking behind the scenes, but I, I'm from Toronto. So it's nice to meet a, a fellow uh, temporary te Torontonian there. So awesome. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, obviously, uh, one of the reasons you wanted to come on and do this second show is obviously you've got your new ministry that, that's kind of come out. So uh, I just want to give turn it straight to you to kind of Give us a bit of background. What's your new ministry about? Uh, maybe provide the audience some details, like how can they figure out what you're what you're up to and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. So uh, I have actually two ministries. Uh, one ministry is called Yesod Bible Center. That's my online Bible school where I offer a live online Bible courses on a variety of topics, including the Bible, Hebrew Bible, New Testament. Uh, Second Temple Judaism, that's his scrolls, apologetics, biblical Hebrew, modern Hebrew. And I'm very um, uh, excited to share the news with you and with all those who are going to watch this podcast that I offer a new online course, an upcoming course uh, that will start next month, April the 3rd. So it's uh, about a month and people can sign up for the course on the website, yesodbiblecenter.com or .org. And the course is entitled Uncovering the Mysteries of Zechariah. So it's going to be an in-depth study of the book of Zechariah, uh, right from the Hebrew text. Even if you, do, if you, if you never had a chance to uh, learn biblical Hebrew, it's okay. It's not required. And uh, it's going to be a fascinating journey back into the days of Zechariah, study of his prophetic oracles, uh, the interpretation of those oracles in the New Testament literature, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and Second Temple Jewish sources, and of course, lots of application for life and uh, also uh, seeing into the future what the Lord has in store for Israel and the nations. So I really uh, invite all of you friends to consider signing up for my online Bible course, Uncovering the Mysteries of Zechariah on my website, yesodbiblecenter.com or .org. Uh, and you will find many other um, uh, fascinating resources on my website, including videos, articles, um, some interviews, uh, resources uh, on a variety of topics. So you're more than welcome to reach out to me. And uh, my email address and my phone number are all there on the website, Yesod Bible Center. So feel free to reach out to me. And I look forward to seeing you all in my class. So that's my first, um, my first ministry that was established back in 2018. My more new, uh, recent ministry is called the International Biblical Apologetics Association, or the IBAA. And our website is BibleApologist.org. Again, 
BibleApologist.org, and uh, that's a nonprofit uh, organization in the United States. So we um, operate fully legally, and uh, we uh, formally launched this ministry um, as, uh, as a response to various uh, false doctrines, even some, even some heresies that infiltrated many uh, Messianic Jewish congregations and even some evangelical churches. So the first project of the IBAA ministries, it was the International Apologetics Declaration, where we, uh, me and uh, my team, were able to put together a um, very important theological document. It's a unifying theological statement. Uh, it's biblical, evangelical, non-denominational, messianic, pro-Israel, where people could go to this resource, they can sign on, we translate this document into other languages. So far, we have 17 languages into which this document was translated, hopefully more in the future. So this was the uh, first project of IBAA Ministries, and the declaration itself can be found on the website. You're welcome to sign it. You can download, you can print it, you can share it, and spread the word about this ministry. And right now, we have many other projects that are uh, going on. And this ministry as a new ministry uh, is of course, is, is in need of prayers. Prayer support is very much important, very much needed. Uh, we reach out to people who are uh, deceived uh, in uh, abusive churches and uh, pseudo-Christian uh, cults, uh, specifically groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, Seventh-day Adventists and others. Uh, the ministry focuses on revival in Israel, standing against anti-Semitism, refuting replacement theology, uh, and um, uh, striving for unity among believers based on scripture without compromising the biblical truths. So again, let me just repeat. So the first ministry is Yesod Bible Center. The website is yesodbiblecenter.com or .org. And the second is the International Biblical Apologetics Association or the IBAA. And the website is BibleApologies.org. And I would be uh, very happy to hear from you. Uh, specifically, uh, we need prayers. Uh, we need volunteers for the ministry. And of course, if the Lord would uh, lead you, you are more than welcome to support the ministry financially, since we have um, lots of expenses to cover related to the ministry. And any donation would be greatly appreciated. Perfect. Yeah. And just for the audience, I'll be putting up on my blog site, I'll be putting like, uh, document that Egal sent me uh, with links and everything, so you can check that out and support him there. So, awesome, awesome. All right. Um, thing, yeah. I guess before you get started, um, you, you mentioned I remember that you you yourself used to be a Jehovah's Witness. Um, did you kind of did you want to just take some time to kind of mention like how that came about and how you saw the flaws of that, if you don't mind? Of course, of course. Though, yeah, it's it's very important. Uh, kind of part of my spiritual journey. Um, so uh, it, it all happened in Israel when I was a teenager. My parents and I were looking for the truth. We wanted to know the God of the Bible. And two men knocked on our door. Two young uh, Jewish, nice-looking men came and said, oh, let's uh, do you want to study the Bible with us. And we said, yeah, why not? And of course, at that time, we were just traditional Jews. We didn't know much about the, the Bible, neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament. We didn't know much about Christianity or different Christian churches or movements. And of course, then they said, oh, yeah, we are Jehovah's Witnesses. We want to teach you about God. You live forever in the paradise. God will give you eternal life. So, of course, it all sounds really, really kind of attractive to us. We were drawn to this. Uh, there will be a world without no war in the future. But just you need to join us. You need to, to join the organization. We need to proclaim our message, so-called they put the kingdom, the, the gospel uh, of the kingdom, and etc. And uh, you come to our kingdom hall and we participate in our meetings and everything. And uh, of course, annoyingly, uh, we spent there for about seven years, my parents and I. And uh, before we left uh, this uh, organization, which is actually a cult, heretical, spiritual, dark place, uh, the Lord revealed to us that. Uh, we need to leave this place. And already the Holy Spirit started uh, talking into my heart, speaking into my heart, the truth of the Bible. And we were, when we were still there, I was able to uh, talk to the people there and the so-called local leaders, uh, elders, they call themselves, 
and uh, tell them that they are believing in lies. They, they have to repent. They have to come to the knowledge of the Bible, to the true living God, and leave this organization, leave this cult, leave behind all this literature. The New World Translation is a fraud. And just come to the knowledge of the one true living God based on scripture, the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, and the New Testament. So, of course, they, they, they hated us. They called us apostates. They disfellowshipped us. And we were like uh, enemy number one in the city. Uh, so, uh, and of course, all those families that we had some, you know, social ties throughout the years, you know, just some kind of relationship, they were all, all cut. Uh, and so we were just alone. We were really, really uh, in a bad spiritual shape, emotional, we were heart heartbroken. And at that time, the Lord led us to a local Bible store a Messianic Jewish Bible store where we are uh, able to read scriptures and got some Christian literature, Messianic literature in Hebrew and in Russian. And by the amazing grace of the Lord, the Lord led us from this, from this Bible, uh, Bible store, he led us into the local congregation, Messianic Jewish Brethren Assembly called Beth Hesda in the city of Haifa, where we came to faith in Yeshua Mashiach in Jesus Christ and got baptized. And uh, our, my spiritual journey started at that time as well as my parents. So praise the Lord uh, for his miracle. And uh, from that time on, Dale, I, I'm, on, I, I'm a very passionate apologist. I really want to reach out to people who are uh, spiritually deceived. They, they, they need to know the truth. They need to know the gospel. Uh, not with any judgmental spirit or uh, some kind of um, bitterness towards them. Oh, they're bad guys and, I'm, and now I'm the good guy. It's, it's not my approach. No, they're all sinners. They're all they are also sinners. They they think they know the truth. They think they know God. They know they know Jesus, but they aren't. And each one of us is called to be a, a good neighbor, a good witness of the gospel. And we are to reach out to them and many other people like them who are involved in other false religions. They need to know the Bible. They need to know the truth. They need to go to know the living God of Israel, Yahweh. And that we and each one of us is a vessel in God's hands, so we can bring this light forward to them and. Uh, expel the darkness in the name of Jesus Christ and, and Satan and all of his demonic forces will flee away when we preach the gospel with boldness, courage, and integrity. Awesome. Yeah, well said. Um, yeah, I, I think from listening, so like your main focus is kind of like already with uh, people that are theists of some kind, some religious type of theists. Um, but I'm just curious, like, um, do you, like does your ministry address atheist type skeptics or you know like what what sort of arguments do you find convincing for an atheist who doesn't believe in god in general in the first place right 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 yeah uh yeah so the ministry uh, also works with people who are atheists or agnostics and uh, they have questions they have doubts about god about the bible whether god really exists and um, uh, we have uh, one team member who specializes uh, in the question of creation creationism versus evolution. Mm -hmm. so, um, in that sense, we are uh, well-staffed. So specifically uh, with arguments, right? The question, whether uh, are there good arguments that we can bring forth to those atheists who say that, oh, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in the spiritual realm. We don't know whether if there's anything beyond this human uh, body, uh, our planet Earth. So I think there are some very good arguments that we can uh, present to them. So, so for example, I do believe that we are all, all humans, we are all born with some kind of an awareness that there is some kind of a supernatural spiritual force beyond us, beyond this world that we cannot see, that God really exists, even if we are not sure what kind of a God is this, whether it's a good God or not. And our soul, our spirit really longs for that, for that uh, um, intimate spirituality. So we don't know him personally till we've to commit our lives to him, but we all have an innate need to search for God. So this uh, spiritual quest for God can be expressed in many ways, uh, like our conscience, right? We do have a conscience, each one of us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, all of us, even if we are in very bad moral shape, we do have some fundamentals of morality. And it can be even seen in pagan cultures, right? All of us, we all need uh, to have this, this feeling of security, belonging, love, and so forth. It means that we are more than just a human body. So the existence of God is evident, I believe, in the complex order universe, nature, human body, and 
Uh, Romans 1.20 testifies to this very clearly. To look around ourselves, we can see the complex beauty of the world that God created. Of course, atheists usually, usually reject God uh, because he doesn't fit into uh, the, the framework of their minds. But I think the main case, uh, the, sort of the main cause is spiritual blindness brought about demonic influence on the person. He's unable to see uh, the, the, the beauty of God and, and the reality of, of, of his existence. Spiritual blindness doesn't let them see the obvious truth. And this blindness can be lifted supernaturally by the Lord himself. So we have to present some good arguments for those atheists and agnostics. And at the same time, we are to pray for them that the Lord would reveal himself to those individuals. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and sometimes it's a mixture of both. I know in my case it was arguments and um, the inner witness of, of the Holy Spirit and, you know, kind of that God exists and stuff. So awesome. All right. Um, all right, cool. Well, in terms of Christianity proper, then getting a little bit more specific. So let's say we got general theism, you, you've got a theist. Um, what do you think are some of the main reasons that would prove that Christianity is true um, that you might use? Yeah, it's, it's another excellent question, Dale. So there's a lot of evidence that the biblical faith is true. So by Christianity in this context, I think we mean biblical faith, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, not specific uh, Christian uh, stream, right? Like For sure. Or Orthodox, right? So in a general sense, the faith of Christ, the way of Yeshua, right? Yeah. So I think that we, we have lots of evidence uh, that biblical, uh, biblical faith is true. So we have historical data, uh, archaeology. Uh, we have Bible prophecy, which has been fulfilled in the person of Yeshua of Jesus and in history throughout, throughout uh, the generations, right? Mm -hmm. We have real historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus of Yeshua from the dead. Um, let's think, for example, for, about the tomb. Right, the empty tomb. We know that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women on the Sunday following the crucifixion. So we know that Jesus' disciples had real experiences with the one whom they believed was the risen Christ. So as a result of the preaching of these disciples, which had the resurrection at, at, at its center, the Christian church or the Messianic church, the Messianic movement, was established and grew. So I believe that we come to know Jesus for a personal encounter with him when we search for him in humility and brokenness. And he comes to us, answers us, because he's a living God. So this doesn't, of course, doesn't happen in pagan religions, but only in a personal relationship with the living God of Israel. So just to sum it up, uh, we have lots of evidence. There are many good historical reasons. Uh, we don't see any contradictions between even secular history and the biblical narrative. So overall, from Genesis to Revelation, we have lots of extra biblical materials to corroborate the biblical, the, the, the biblical um, history, uh, prophecy, and, and, and overall, it's, it's all uh, description of life. I would say that I would put it in that way. Um, just a, a few things I want to kind of follow up on. So in the first place, obviously, this will be in your area of exp expertise. But um, so you mentioned prophecies. Um, do, like what uh, types of prophecies did you have in mind that you think are good evidence? Is it messianic prophecies? Is it oracles to the nations? Like, um, yeah, like what, what do you mean by prophecies? If you yeah, know? yeah. So um, we have different types of prophecies in the Hebrew Bible. So in the Hebrew Bible, we have messianic prophecies, many of which were fulfilled in the first coming of, of Jesus of Yeshua. Some will, will be fulfilled in his second coming, uh, which is, uh, so the messianic prophecy is a very strong line of evidence to prove that uh, the Christian faith, the faith of the, of the apostles was really based on a real, real foundation of history that was really fulfilled and there were witnesses of this, okay? So that, that, that would be one line of evidence. The second would be, just like you said there, we have prophecies that uh, found its fulfillment in the history of Israel and the, and, and, and the existence of the Jewish people in itself is, the, I would say, one of the greatest evidence that God exists and the Bible is true. 
because right from the beginning, from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, from the Pentateuch, we see very clearly that the Bible speaks, God prophesies to Moses that once Israel uh, turns away from God and his ways, they are going to be punished. They are going to pay for, for uh, they're going to pay for the consequences of their sin. It's the exile, right? And then in the New Testament, very, very clearly that Jerusalem will be uh, exiled. The city will be destroyed. All this happened in 70 AD, just like Yeshua predicted about 40 years earlier. And later on throughout uh, the Jewish history, we see Israel, uh, Jewish people in dispersion, right? And then we have the miracle of the modern state of Israel, 1948. So I do believe that we have very strong evidence uh, related to uh, the place of Israel in Bible prophecy. And of course, we have prophecies to be fulfilled in relationship to Israel and the nations and the second coming of Yeshua. Back to the Mount of Olives, like we read in Zechariah chapter 14. And then, of course, we have another line of evidence, uh, the, the nations, um, the, the oracles directed to the nations. Okay, We have uh, oracles against Egypt, Babylon, uh, Philistia, and history proves all of them to be true. So all in all, we can say that uh, Bible prophecy is one of the strongest lines of proof and evidence for the historicity of the Bible, the credibility, and the fact that, the, that it's not a human uh, prediction. It has a supernatural source and God is behind it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I myself, well, this isn't a, this is about your views, not mine, but like just briefly, yeah, with, with messianic prophecies, I, I think that there's a, a unique circumstance that arises whereby it's either either Jesus, Jesus is the only possible candidate. It's either Jesus or it's a false prophecy. And that should be really telling if you're a Bible-believing Jew, for example. Um, the fact that that circumstance arises is amazing. Um, all right, cool. Um, you also mentioned like historical proofs. And I, I think you kind of gave a brief synopsis of some of the evidence in favor of Jesus's resurrection. Um, but I wanted to ask you, outside of the resurrection, I've been trying to get a, a biblical scholar on to, to speak about this um, for a long time now, but I'm curious, what, what do you make of the historicity of G, uh, some of Jesus's other miracles outside of the resurrection? Because that's the common apologetic. Um, do you think there's a case from Jesus walking on water or healing people? Like, what about his other miracles? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a Another great question, Dale. So yeah, uh, of course, we'll find critics who claim that there are insufficient historical grounds to believe such spectacular accounts, the ones that you just mentioned. But the reality is that all the historical evidence points to the fact that Jesus really did perform miracles. So obviously there are no videos or photographs of Jesus bringing about these signs and wonders. The gospels really are reliable sources of truth on the life and purpose of Jesus and are completely worthy of the, our faith in them as the true and inerrant word of God. So we know that the gospels are, are one of the most ancient Jewish documents dated to the first century. And we can say that they are also our earliest surviving sources of Yeshua's life and work. They were written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of Yeshua and are based on, the, on that eyewitnesses testimony, okay? But what is important uh, to mention here that we have extra biblical sources, extra biblical sources that do point to the fact that indeed the miracles of Yeshua were testified by non-Christians, by even sometimes non-Christian Jews and sometimes uh, Gentile sources, okay? Let me give an example. We have the testimony of Josephus, and this is uh, written in the Antiquities of the Jews, book 18, chapter 3, section 3, and I can quote from there. So uh, that's what we find in Josephus's work, Antiquities of the Jews. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as receive the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again in the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold this, and ten thousands other wonderful things 
concerning him. And the tribe of the Christians, so named from him, are not extinct to this day. Okay? Mm -hmm. This is a very important text, right? And it's written here very directly that this man was a door of wonderful works, right? Mm -hmm. so it's a historical evidence of Josephus Flavius, the first century Jewish historian. It really deserves our consideration. And we have other sources. Uh, we have even the testimony of the critics that are recorded in the New Testament. We have even rabbinic traditions, for example, in the, in the Talmud, uh, and we know that the Talmud is not a, a Messianic or a Christian document, right? But it, but uh, the text of the Talmud actually uh, records that uh, Jesus was was a, uh, was a miracle worker, right? And 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 it's actually uh, they don't believe it was from God, right? They claim it was some kind of magic arts or something like that. But but in in, in general sense, it supports the gospel claim that Jesus, Yeshua, was a healer and a miracle worker, okay? Even though it ascribes these activities to sorcery, which is, of course, wrong, right? Yeah. Yeshua does not perform anything related to sorcery at all, okay? But, but, but the fact in itself, right, I think it's a historical source that, that does deserve our uh, attention as well. Awesome. All right. Uh, I, I know we're pressed for time, but I'm just, if it's okay, I want to fit in one question about the rabbinic sources, because I just did a show, a solo show on that. I don't know if you saw that or not, but um, uh, so that talking about that rabbinic text and Josephus, it's interesting. Um, Dr. David Instone Brewer, who's a rabbinical scholar, has made a, one of his arguments is saying the order of the charges. So Jesus is guilty of sorcery and enticing the people. That's what the the Talmud says, and I think that's the order of Josephus as well. Um, and he says, well, this proves, this order is contrary to the order of the Deuteronomy and the Pharisees and the rabbis. They always had it in the opposite order for legalistic purposes. So he's saying, well, that indicate the order of the charges indicates it's an early uh, non-Pharisaic or non-Rabbinic source, possibly the Sadducees, and therefore it's kind of preserving early testimony Jesus trial. I, I don't know if you heard that or like, what do you make of that very quickly? If you don't mind me asking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Th that's interesting though. No, I, it's the first time uh, I hear this uh, kind of an perspective. It, it's worth worth uh, uh, to consider it definitely. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I don't think it, it actually uh, um, changes, you know, kind of, um, you know, the weight of, of, of the evidence. It's, it's still, uh, uh, you know, Josephus Flavius is still a first century historical uh, testimony. That's from the Talmud, uh, which is, of course, later, right? It's not dated to the first century, but still it goes, takes us back into the first century to the time of, of Yeshua and, and the gospel writers. So uh, overall, we, do, we, we can theorize about it. Uh, we don't know, and it's good to ask questions and, and, and to study and to inquire about that. But, uh, but the bottom line, the, the, the deadline would be that the fact that it's very clear that uh, we do have extra biblical sources that uh, point to the... Uh, to the fact that indeed uh, the gospelic claims uh, can be uh, proven or verified even by their general extent by other extra-biblical sources. Awesome. All right, cool. And sorry about that. I just kind of sprung that on you, but I, I was interested based on what you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, okay, la last question on this front. Um, and it, it's something that's a personal interest to me, but I'm just sort of curious, what, what's your take on the Shroud of Turin, for example? Do you think there's any merit with that or just not sure, or you don't think mm. it's any good? Like, what, what's your chance? Uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, uh, Dale. Um, I haven't had the chance really to study the, the, the Shroud of Turin really deeply um, from a historical perspective. Um, but I do think that uh, that it's something that uh, can be used even in evangelism. Um, we can, you know, mention it. We can point to, to the fact that we have something that really fascinates even uh, non-believers. And from there, we can reroute the conversation and, and take it back to the scriptures and show that indeed we have a risen Lord. Yeshua was indeed risen from the dead. Uh, so, so we do have uh, even kind of a popular apologetic source like Shroud of Turin that can be used for, for this purpose. Awesome, awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, I was just curious because that's kind of a pet project of my, mine. I'm, uh, mm. I developed what, you know, like the minimal facts approach to the resurrection. I have what's called a minimal relevant features approach with the Shroud. Uh -huh. Cool. Um, all right. Well, well, let's change gears here from like the positive evidences 
Um, I want to ask you, like, what in terms of Christianity in general, what do you think are like the biggest problems that skeptics bring to you guys that you guys encounter in your ministry and you guys think these are the toughest challenges? I think you're muted. Yeah, it's saying you're still muted there. Two minutes, okay. Uh, I'll pause the recording. Ah, uh, sure, 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 sure. Uh -huh. um, so, so yeah, just to recap, I don't know if we got or not, but I was just asking you, let's flip the tables. We talked about some of the reasons you think Christianity is true. Um, what, do you, what do you think are some of the best arguments or things that skeptics have brought to you that purport to show that Christianity is false? What are the biggest challenges on that front? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's another excellent question, though. So uh, I would say that one of the common arguments of skeptics is that there is no God because there is so much pain and suffering in the world. And I would say another uh, challenging question that some... Um, you know, skeptics would ask is like, um, we cannot see God, right? We cannot see the spiritual world. How can we be convinced of it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say that the quite the problem with the suffering, right? The pain and the suffering in the world and the fact that uh, our physical eyes cannot see the spiritual realm, spiritual world, right? Are, I, I would say are somewhat challenging. Um, but but, uh, but but I do believe that that we can answer those those two questions as well. Um, and of course, we won't find just one one answer that would um, fit or satisfy all, right? Mm -hmm. I do think that 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 uh, you know theologians and and uh, biblical scholars throughout the centuries have developed some uh, solid answers to both both challenges. Interesting. Excellent. All right. Cool. Um, so it's it's more it's interesting for you. It's more like the challenge to general theism. It, it, that's the, the most kind of pressing objections that you've gotten in your ministry there. So all right, awesome. Um, now, obviously, one of your main focuses is with Jewish evangelism in particular. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to get your kind of quick take on what you think the, some of the best st strategies are uh, in terms of doing apologetics or evangelizing with Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah. So uh, it's quite challenging uh, evangelizing Jewish people. And there are different reasons for, 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 for you know, the hardships related to Jewish evangelism. So we have really, uh, we have to uh, be aware as believers of persistent, persistent anti-Semitism and persecution that the Jewish people have experienced uh, throughout the centuries on the part of Christians, right? Mm -hmm. and we have so-called Christians, even here in North America, Canada, and United States, who are anti-Semitic, and we have to admit it, right? Mm -hmm. And fortunately, there aren't many, you know, um, churches or ministries that are addressing this, but it's very important to address it, because if you're not addressing it, we won't be able to share the gospel with them, right? If you're not loving, if you're not compassionate, if you're not sensitive, we won't be able to share the love of, of, of God with them, right? Because of those barriers. Uh, so that, 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 that would be one, one factor. Mm -hmm. Another one would, would be that if you are a Jewish believer in Yeshua, sometimes it can be even more challenging to evangelize your own uh, Jewish people, your own people, because they see you as a traitor, right? That's a general uh, kind of, um, kind of a bias that exists among some Jewish uh, groups that if you become a Messianic believer, if you believe in Yeshua and the New Testament, you're uh, you're not a Jew anymore. You cease to be a Jew. You're a traitor. Right? Yeah. And, and yet at other times, it's a, that's very interesting dynamics here. Being a Jewish evangelist can be helpful because you can relate to them and they will have more trust in your witness. Because you're their own fellow Jew, so so it it all depends on the on the person you are witnessing to, yeah. and and you have a variety of Jewish people. You have Jews who are atheists, some are Gnostics, some are uh, liberal, others are conservative, Orthodox, followers of Chabad the Chabad movement, mm -hmm. and a variety of others uh, groups there. Right, so uh, it's it's very important for believers to be sensitive towards the Jewish people. 
to be loving, to be compassionate, to be patient, right? And very important to explain that once you turn to Yeshua, he's your own God, he's your own Messiah and Savior, he's the King of the Jews, you are not converting to another religion, you're not converting to Christianity. You are uh, following the, the God who sent your deliverer 2,000 years ago, just like we read in the New Testament, Yeshua said, right? I came to my own sheep uh, of the house of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to be really equipped well with knowledge of history, of Jewish history, and knowledge of some of, of the religion, of their customs, really understand them. Not come from the position of, oh, I'm now superior. I know better. I know God. You don't know one, right? It's not the way, right? I think we have to be we have to follow the, the, the stipulation of Paul in Romans 11, 11. We are to provoke Israel to jealousy, okay? Not to hatred, not to conflict, because it was we had enough of it in history, right? But we are to present the gospel, to pray for the people. We are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, we are to stand with, with the Jewish people, with the nation of Israel, and, and lovingly and patiently uh, as, as sow the seeds of truth into their hearts. One one thing I, I'd just like to ask you, maybe just kind of following up on that, what you just said, because mm-hmm. outside of like uh, evangelizing Jews in general, and you mentioned all those uh, considerations, what about within Israel itself? Like, for, for example, I, this might show my ignorance, but I, I've heard that it's actually illegal to evangelize uh, Jews over 18 or something, or maybe, I don't know the age, but is that, is that true? Are there like political obstacles there as well? Mm. Uh, so um, it's a bit of a misinformation here, Adele. Okay. So in Israel, there is a law against missionary work, against missionary activity. Uh, if you want to uh, go and share the gospel with minors who are below 18. Oh, okay. So that's, that's wrong, that, that's uh, unlawful. But there is no law in Israel prohibiting, you know, uh, gospel sharing work in Israel with adults 18 and above. So that is something that is fully legal and, 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 and can be done. At the same time, in Israel, there is a persecution from ultra-Orthodox Jews, uh, Israelis who have persecuted Messianic Jewish believers for sharing the gospel. And there is lots of persistence and there are some violent violent attacks on believers there throughout the, you know, the years and some very, very sad story. But, but at the same time, it's, it's a great example uh, you know, of, of, the, of the Messianic body in Israel, how they're persisted in their faith. They continue to preach the gospel. They continue to hold their meetings. To, uh, they're not ashamed of the gospel. The, it's a great encouragement personally for me, and it should be encouraging for many other believers in the world, especially Western Christians who are sometimes more kind of in a spiritually um, sleepy state yeah. of Laodicea, Revelation chapter three. So uh, we, have a, we have some good encouragement from, from our brethren from Israel, praise the Lord. Awesome, awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, and thanks for correcting me. I'm sorry I got that, that uh, fake news out there, but uh, um, <laughs> all right, cool. So, all right, so, so let me turn, uh, you, you kind of already addressed the, my question about Messianic prophecies already, so that's great. Um, one thing I really want to ask about, because this is a, a fundamental problem, not just what, not just with Jewish people, um, but atheists as well. I, I used to have an atheist co-host, and he would bring up the issue of the atonement. Um, you know, the, you, Jesus, God uh, needs blood sacrifice or the blood of a human being. Um, in order to atone for our sins, this this makes God a, a bloodthirsty monster. Um, and from within a Jewish context, uh, Jews would say, uh, "No, that, that's completely wrong-headed. Look, the, the Old Testament provide says that God doesn't desire sacrifices. He provides other means for atonement." So, do you want to just maybe like kind of address some of these common issues around the Christian notion of of Jesus' mm-hmm. sacrifice for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a great question, and uh, it's one of those common questions that I get um, from in my ministry. I work for Dr. Michael Brown, mm-hmm. ministry, and I'm his uh, Jewish minister assistant. And it's a very common question that I'm um, frequently getting from people, both from Jewish people and others. Why do we need this all this blood? Right? There's so much blood in the Old Testament. Jesus is is the sacrifice. He comes to die. Why is all this is necessary? Right? Is, why is it? Is really required. So all these questions are, are really, you know, are bothering many, many believers, non-believers in these days. 
And, and I think, it, you know, the biblical answer would be, you know, understanding the biblical theology of atonement. That would, that would be the answer. So we have to go back to the story of the fall, Genesis chapter three. And right from there, we understand that the wages of, of sin are death. That, that's a biblical truth. That's a, that's, a, that's a historical, that's the reality of our life. And, and when we have all of this, right? We have sin, people die, they sin, they die. And according to scripture, sin is unacceptable by God. That it brings about death, okay? So in order for humans not to die, God mercifully allowed for animals to atone for human sins, basically to take, to take their place, okay? Interestingly, we find this principle as early as, as Leviticus 17.11, and it's reiterated in Hebrews 9.22, and let me quote from this verse, Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are purified with blood according to the law, and apart from blood shedding, there is no forgiveness. So if we went back, to, the, to read the Levitical law, we would uh, see that purification and forgiveness was extended under a variety of circumstances, like including washing with water, anointing with oil, and I have all the biblical references if they're needed, uh, burning flour, uh, giving money, or releasing an animal into the wild, Leviticus chapter 16, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have to realize that according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So animal sacrifices was a temporary means that the God of Israel established for, uh, for the resolution, for uh, forgiving the sins of the people of Israel. It's not that uh, you know, the, the, the sins were taken away because it's written very clearly in Hebrews 10.4 that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins, right? So that, that's why uh, the Lord ordained for the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua from Nazareth, to come and die as a, a atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we don't need to bring any more uh, animal sacrifices. So we have the suffering servant of the Lord, uh, fulfilling Isaiah 52, 13, throughout Chapter 53 of Isaiah, the suffering servant of the Lord, he is the one who fulfilled the prophecy by dying on the cross of Calvary. And we know that this was the, uh, uh, the invitation of God to all, to Jews and non-Jews, to accept the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, just like we read in John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but inherit eternal life. So we see that we really have to go deep, a bit deeper into the biblical theology of atonement and see that even uh, when the Lord uh, provided some additional means, it was still part of this um, sacrificial system with, with, where animals were to be sacrificed and, uh, and, and, and they were to be uh, brought uh, to, uh, in the tabernacle and then later on in the, in the temple. So it's very clear for us that we have one sanctification, we have one way of forgiveness, we have one way to eternal life, and that's the, sacri the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, of Yeshua Mashiach on the cross. And that's a, that's a biblical mandate, mandate for us to go and preach the gospel and call sinners to be reconciled with Heavenly Father based on uh, this amazing work of salvation. Awesome, awesome. all right, cool. Um, well, one thing I, I want to throw out, um, I know that we, you kind of gave your take on the positive side of messianic prophecies, but one thing I forgot to ask you at that time, uh, looking at the negative side, what, what do you think are some of the biggest objections from, from Jewish believers um, trying to say, well, Jesus isn't the Messiah because, you know, like, how, what are some of those that you've encountered? Um, I would say uh, one of the most frequently addressed um, arguments is the fact that, uh, of course, if Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel, why we don't see the fulfillment of all the prophecies all at once, right? So we don't see the fulfillment, for example, of Isaiah 11, right? Where is the lamb uh, and the lion sitting together, right? Where is the peace in the world, right? Where is this messianic era, right? So, of course... People, uh, Jewish people are wondering, right? How, how could it be that if he's the Messiah, he hasn't fulfilled those prophecies? So and to answer this, we have to realize that the biblical prophecy is, uh, is telescopic. We have 
fulfillment of, of, of an event, and then we have a future fulfillment even in, in, in a, a, a greater scale. So, for example, we have in the Hebrew Bible prophecies that were fulfilled in the first coming of Yeshua, and some other prophecies hasn't, have, haven't been fulfilled yet. So we believe that they will be fulfilled with his return once he, once he comes back, in his second coming. So it's very clear for us that we see that the biblical, uh, that the biblical prophecies are not to be seen as just uh, short-term prophecies, have also long-term fulfillment. And it's not foreign to the Hebrew Bible itself. It's very, uh, it's part of, 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 the, of the prophetic, um, of the prophetic uh, dynamics that we find in scripture. So I do believe that uh, that kind of an objection can be answered very uh, confidently by us when Jewish people ask us about the Messianic era in the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, well said. And um, I, I think it's telling because even ancient Jews themselves noticed this, what you're calling this prophetic dynamic to some extent, right? Because they, they had, it, they just made the mistake instead of saying one Messiah, two comings, they're like, well, there's maybe there's two Messiahs. There's Messiah Ben David, Messiah Ben Joseph. So even they kind of recognize there's a, it's more complex than just, you know, than what they're saying. So, all right, cool. Um, so, so my last question here on the list, um, just again, it's looking at Jewish objections to Jesus. And obviously the first thing Jews will point out is they'll say the New Testament contradicts the Old Testament. Um, not only that, it's contradictory to human nature. It has these impossible commands like uh, love your enemies and, you know, give to him who asks you, turn the other cheek, stuff like that. Um, so I want you to kind of address, is the New Testament presenting dangerous, contradictory things to the Old Testament and to human nature? Um, and maybe speak a little bit, because you mentioned about the anti-Semitic. We have to be sensitive to that when evangelizing with Jews. Well, one of the main objections is, well, the New Testament itself is anti-Semitic. It, it talks badly about the Jews and stuff like that. So, yeah, take it away. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's true that a lot of Jews think that the New Testament contradicts the Hebrew Bible. It's not the case. The New Testament does not contradict the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the problem is that uh, many of them, they just don't see the unity of scripture. They, they, it's hard for them to fathom that we have just a sequel. The New Testament is like a sequel, Jewish ancient Jewish literature, right? It's a sequel to the New Testament, but just written in Greek, not in Hebrew, although there are many Hebraisms within the New Testament itself, right? Well, uh, but it's not just Jews. Uh, we have to uh, uh, realize, to acknowledge that many Christians, they share a similar perspective by believing that, that the theologies of the Old and New Testaments are radically different, right? Uh, they actually believe that the, the New Testament is more superior to the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible, right? Many of them believe that the Old Testament is done away with, right? which is, of course, not true, right? So, so we have issues both within, uh, within the, the Jewish camp and the Christian camp, right? There, there, there are uh, theological, philosophical, and hermeneutical issues, uh, and we, we are to bridge them and to help them see the unity of God's word, that Matthew, through Revelation, does not contradict uh, Genesis through Malachi, right? And the, uh, and the commandments of Yeshua, they do not contradict the commandments of Moses, right? And that we don't have this uh, artificial theological um, um, kind of tension between law and grace that was unfortunately developed throughout the centuries. It's not true at all. We have to realize that we have to recognize that, okay? So biblically speaking, the Hebrew Bible points us to the New Testament. The New Testament takes us back into the Hebrew Bible. So we are to build our foundation of our faith based on both covenants, based on both testaments, not just one, okay? Now, uh, getting to the, to the second half of your question, uh, Dale, regarding the, uh, you know, the charge that the New Testament is anti-Semitic book. It's not, it's not true at all, and I am Jew myself. <laughs> I can and I can uh, say that the New Testament. I can, with all my heart, testify that the New Testament does not teach anything anti-Semitic. Okay, the New Testament is not anti-Semitic. The problem is with those so-called Christian anti-Semites who twist the Bible and they, you know, throw you know different charges at the Jewish people, quoting some verses from from the New Testament that 
kind of sound anti-Semitic. The problem is with humans, it's not with the biblical text itself, okay? The New Testament is very pro-Israel. And right from the beginning, we see that Yeshua came to his own people, right? The Jews are mentioned in the New Testament, but it always qualifies the group words addressed to, okay? So it's not like all the Jews or, or it, it doesn't, uh, I know, uh, generalize them, okay? So as God's people, the Israelites were expected to know God's truth and to be a light to the nations. And a lot was expected of them. So Yeshua fairly criticized their actions, okay? So we have, uh, we have uh, the well-known verse from John 8, 44, right? You're of the devil. The father is, uh, the devil is your father, right? You remember? Yeah, yeah. We cannot just take John 8, 44 and generalize it to refer to the entire nation, kind of they're all sons of the devil, right? It's a very bad hermeneutic, right? So it's very clear that Yeshua is addressing only particular Jewish group who follow their own traditions, but not the uh, precepts of the God of Israel. So basically we are dealing here so much with uh, uh, you know, uh, mishandling the New Testament. Uh, misquoting, misapplying it, that would cause anti-Semitism, but not the New Testament itself. Awesome, awesome. perfect. Well, thank you very much. So it, it is uh, time, I fit, I fit it in within your time constraints, so I did a good job of moderation there. Um, but yeah, may, maybe just before we go, I'll, I'll turn it to you to have like either a last word to say whatever you want to say, um, you know, plug any projects or bring up any issues that you, you didn't get to say in the course of the show. And last word will be to you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Dale. I truly appreciated uh, your moderation and uh, I truly enjoyed this podcast. Uh, I would just say that um, I would be very glad to hear and uh, to hear back from those who watch this uh, podcast. Uh, I, would like, I would love to answer your questions. Uh, your prayers are so much appreciated. Uh, feel free to reach out to me with uh, any questions and also um, uh, sign up for my online Bible course. I would love to see you there. And also it would be great friends, if you um, would be willing to participate in the ministry in any capacity, we need people, we need uh, to grow our ministry. And if the Lord would lead you to uh, support the ministry financially, it would be a blessing as well. So thank you very much. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, thank, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up. Uh, just so the audience knows what I have coming up for next week. Um, I think I'll be having Dr. David Kemble Cook is coming back on to discuss the problem of evil. So that very tough problem that a was mentioning there. Um, so yeah, me and David Russell will be kind of going with uh, uh, David Kemble and, and addressing his issues there. But other than that, have a great week, everybody, and take care.